Gwyneth Paltrow put a condom on a cucumber on Glee, believe it or not. And the clearance was like this thick because health companies don't want you to ever use something that's not correct with their brand. And even though it was a condom, we didn't even see a logo. It was a big deal. Welcome to There to Hear, an educational podcast where industry professionals talk nuts and bolts and how they got from there to here. On today's show, Tammy Cooper, president of Hollywood International Placements Incorporated, takes us into brand integration, product placement, and how filmmakers can work with these agencies to market products in film and television. As this is a new podcast, we're really wanting feedback, so go to media.collabinc.org, fill out the feedback survey, and you'll be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card. From Collab Inc., I'm Tanya Musgrave, and today we have Tammy Cooper, the president of Hollywood International Placements Incorporated, which works product placement, brand integration, and marketing for film and television, as well as events. Welcome to the show. Hi. This side of things is a bit of uncharted territory for me. I'm usually kind of more acquainted with the production side of things. How did you get from there to here? Well, I majored in business, had an accounting degree, worked at a CPA firm, and one of my clients was in product placement almost like three decades ago. So I just wasn't, I'm a people person and accounting just really wasn't my cup of tea. I kind of got into it from the father. CPA. And I just, she goes, you're natural at this. Cause I was a shopaholic, a brand person, Valley girl, you know, <laughs> raised in LA all my life around the entertainment industry, but I never wanted to be in the entertainment industry. I wanted to go in the mm-hmm. financial world. So I got pulled in kind of that way. And mm-hmm. basically I'm also a member of SAG and AFTRA. I've finally become like an actress doing voiceover <laughs> on shows like Ray Donovan. So we love like to support the shows that obviously we know people we have close relationships with and things like that. With your particular background and not necessarily having a background in film, was it hard of a, like that hard of a transition? I want to say I backed my way self into the industry and knowing production and working and, you know, because it then it became a branding world and, you know, we start out, there was just faxes in the industry and Polaroids. Like mm-hmm. I remember going to set and taking Polaroids. You can imagine the transition over the years mm-hmm. when emails didn't even attach photos or you couldn't even send a video over an email. So that's how long <laughs> we've been in the industry. Tell me a little bit more about what your industry does specifically. Basically, we go after, we have relationships with brands and we bring them to the table. So we have a client list that has like blue diamond almonds on it. Sierra Nevada Beer, um, Hair Care Alteri, Love Everybody, Tea Energy, all kinds of things from, you know, cosmetics, food products to simple human little trash cans <laughs> on your desk, you know. So there's so many things on set. Everything on sets have to, has to be legally cleared and given permission to use. So by using a product placement agency, we save them time and energy because they don't have time to contact every product that's on their set and get a legal form that says, well, you are allowed to show Blue Diamond on the set of the Connors, ABC TV. By coming to us, we save them all that legal clearance and permissions. Okay. So that sounds like a little bit of um, like a Mobius strip, like which side, which side comes first when it comes to that process? Is it more along the lines of you look at stuff that they've already shot or? We're there from pre-production. As soon as the scripts come out or like, we'll get calls even from crews saying, we don't even have our script yet, but we know we're shooting a diner. We're shooting a grocery store. So tell me what you have. And by the way, we haven't even had the cast yet. Sometimes we don't even have the final cast, but we'll get this script. 
So we can break it down. It's called a breakdown. And you go through it and look for the product placement opportunities. And Mm -hmm. then also things get scratched or they add in other scenes as they're writing scripts. TV is like a script will come out on Monday or they'll get it like the Friday. They'll shoot it that Friday. And then they wrap up the set that Friday night and they're dressing next Monday, the next show. So it's really fast. So they're, you know, they work those 12 hour, 15 hour, 20 hour days. And the crews, you know, are really the nuts and bolts of a set because they're the ones striking it, putting it back up, having the actors come in, rehearse on Monday, Tuesday. Then they have to get it approved by the networks. So Mm -hmm. it's a whole process, you know. And when it comes to branding, they have to watch out for their direct advertisers Mm -hmm. because there's not paid placements on network television, but they do have their paid for advertising, the big Fortune 500 companies. So they don't want to get them upset by having something that might conflict. Interesting. Kirsten Bell might have a deal with Neutrogena. So she might not want a L'Oreal or one of my, you know, Clarins cosmetics in a scene. So you have to make sure as a prop man, if it's a hands-on, if they're actually using a product, if it's in my hand, like I'll just use my Sierra Nevada as an Mm. example. So Mm. they're holding it, it's property master department. But if it's sitting on a counter, Mm. that's set dressing. So there's two departments we work with just for set and prop. I mean, unless it's a small production, but in general network television, it's property department you work with, set decorating, And then you deal with legal clearance and permissions. They have a thing that they need to get approved, especially magazines, believe it or not, are one of the Mm. biggest things because you have the photographer image that you have to have cleared. Sometimes you have a celebrity on the cover. And then you also have the publication. So there's three levels of clearance with the magazine. And it can be laying flat on a set and no one even sees it. But you still need a document clearing that product. Wow. How long of a process is that? It, It can be... I mean, we've also worked with condoms and lube and funny scenes like Gwyneth Paltrow put a condom on a cucumber on Glee, believe it or not. And the clearance was like this thick because health companies don't want you to ever use something that's not correct with their brand. And even though it was a condom, we didn't even see a logo. It was a big deal and it was shot and it was already in the can. So it just went through. So like how long, how long did that take? Are you talking like weeks or months or... A week to two weeks. I mean, sometimes clearance takes longer uh, in movies and, you know, when you have time, but they have to get things cleared in order to use them to shoot. So it's usually a week. All right. So you had mentioned that there are no paid placements on network television. There have been, but normally it's not. There's a big um, rule with shooting network television. Do you work with films much? Yes. What's the difference, I guess, between network and film? Are there many differences? There's a whole department at major studios called Production Resources, and they are looking for deals all the time. They do like Ford deals. They do Ford and Ferrari, to use that as an example. Like, obviously, it was written into the script. So we have organic placements where Mm -hmm. obviously Ford and Ferrari, but then you'll see like champagne or it could be a beer client, a water client. Obviously, there were payments there. And they don't disclose those, but you can kind of tell sometimes. And it varies. Sometimes they're organic. Sometimes it's an integration. Sometimes there's a full circle, like Marvel will come to us and say, we want an integration to be done. And they have strict, because it's Disney, they have strict nutritional requirements on the food products, for instance, that are involved. So they'll want a media buy. They'll want print advertising. They'll want licensing, they'll want in-store promotions, they'll want print promotions, then they'll want maybe some direct advertising promotions. 
So there can be a full circle that's related to the product placement. How much would a filmmaker like expect to have to pay for these kinds of services or be paid for some of these placements? The big studios obviously have legal departments and people set up in departments just doing this all day long. And mm-hmm. so there's the independent versus the larger studios. So it varies. Mm-hmm. So they pay production people to work doing product placement. And then they also want to raise money on the back end of the production for a product placement. And they send mm-hmm. out decks saying, um, this opportunity is available. Please send us out a deal memo if your client's interested. So mm-hmm. we will take like a client and say, oh, do you want to pay for this? We can start at 50 grand. If they don't accept that, maybe 75, they'll move it up to, depending on the placement. Like say, say I'm an independent filmmaker and I'm wanting, you know, Blue Diamond in my film. Which one is more feasible? Like the one of me asking Blue Diamond if they want to sponsor part of my film or is it me paying Blue Diamond to have them in my film? It depends on the film because some companies are very conservative. And as you know, today, there's a lot of vulgarity. Um, Mm -hmm. Corporate clients don't want that. They don't want drug use. So it has to be the kind of film that fits their marketing image, which is usually very conservative on that side of the realm. And there's some companies that are edgier, but most of the time you would come to an agency and either talk to the PR firm if they don't have a product placement agency or an agency, and then we go to them because you don't have time to reach all these marketing people. They're mm-hmm. very busy. They have a set schedule. They plan ahead for like a year sometimes. So that's why with the major studios, they come out, they start shooting a film. Sometimes they don't release it for a whole year. So we have plenty of time to work that deal in mm-hmm. if they're interested. Mm-hmm. Am I even using the terminology right? Is it a sponsorship or is it like a placement? We like to call them integrations, deals memos, branding agreements. There are different terms and they're used very loosely and they've evolved. Like remember there was a movie on product placement and they even talked about it. So it's kind of been used so poorly, the word product placement, that it's gotten a bunch of new meetings. And we Mm -hmm. still refer to product placement as getting the product to set, you know, that's it, a general product placement agency. Whereas other people think, you know, oh, I'm going to do this film and I'm going to get all this money for product placement. It usually doesn't work like that. I know a lot of times they come back to me and say, oh, we just want clearance to use the products. We're not asking for any money anymore. And it just depends on how organized you are with your decks and getting them out to the right people in the industry. We have um, Entertainment Resources Marketing Association that used to be very active and where people could contact all the agencies. And now there's there's so many different people working product placement that you have to go out to so many different levels of agencies sometimes. So it's relationships, it's timing. Timing is everything like to call me on August 4th and say we're shooting on August 11th. Do, can you, or do you think any of your clients will want to pay? I mean, you know, that's very hard, especially in COVID-19 mm-hmm. times to reach the person and get someone to cut a check because they're just not making decisions quickly like that. And they have to really want that project. So what is the first step for a filmmaker to integrate into their plan? I think so, to prepare like a PowerPoint with, you know, ideally you have your cast. So you have your contracts with your cast. You mm-hmm. have the script approved. You have your funding and you have a time frame that we know we're going to start shooting or projected shoot date, you know, is this date. So then you have a time frame to know your strategy to how to contact people to even put this in front of their face. Because you have five minutes with 
marketing people to even mm-hmm. get them interested. So you have to kind of get them hyped up and say, you need to take this to the powers that be and see if they're interested in putting any money into this film. This might be great for you. You could use yeah. it on your website after the film's released, obviously, because you, know, you can't allow that type of thing. But you yeah. can um, you can structure the contracts and make them work for you. We want five verbals if we're going to pay for this. We want our product shown definitely for this amount of time and this amount of seconds because mm-hmm. you don't control camera. So there's a lot of time deals are made and then it hits the editing floor and you don't have control over that part of the art. So there's even make goods that happen. Like when people are say, you know, we paid for this, we only got this. And then you say, okay, I'm going to put you in this other film. So mm-hmm. there's those type of things that happen organically or naturally in the world of art because everybody has different components of a film and mm-hmm. a director and an actor might say, I'm not doing that unless they pay me. You know, we've had those type of deals happen. They don't want to have it in their hand. They don't want to represent this without, you know, because the show's getting the money, not the actor in this case. So LA has some of like the most obscure businesses surrounding props. Like I remember our narrative portions when we were shooting, uh, we rented like fake books. Like it was a whole business centered around these foam filled books. Like there are even businesses that sell props of like big shows. Like, so the awesome part of your job is that you can have the props and get sponsorships, but at what point can it be considered an actual viable financing option for your film? Well, that's a good question. I really don't do the budgets and shoot the films. So to answer that, that probably should go to a producer. I know that they look for deals like let's just use like, you know, Californication for an example and Showtime. They would do deals with a car company, say, like maybe a vape machine, um, an alcohol company. So they, they get it to offset their budgets. They spend a lot of money. Um, on a lot of things. So it just brings down their entire budget, which they're always trying to do as a producer. On a film, when you're trying to raise money before you start shooting, like to actually do a film based upon a product placement revenue, I think that you should definitely have some other avenues of revenue before you just rely fully on product placement. I know it's been done. Really? Yeah. I mean, I would say really small films too, maybe a hundred thousand, three hundred thousand. It's more of an offset to your whole production cost. That's how I would say that you should definitely be very conservative in this world because you know how your fees can go. I would not rely totally on product placement. I'm mostly working on major, major, major budgets. So I'm just, it's an offset. And we just save them time and energy for dressing these sets because we do kitchen appliances. We do, you know, we've done so many, we've done furniture, we've done, you know, if they're doing a retail scene, we've done like the whole store, you know, instead of them having to rent it or buy it, we're getting it delivered for free, you know, to their location. And it's easier for them to like to have an empty area than it is to have someone clear every product that possibly could be shown. Even if it's blurry in the background, you're legally supposed to have it legal, you know, signed off on. Like, okay, I'll use this as an example. Hangover, the first hangover with the fighter guy who has a tattoo, Tyson. Okay, so he had a tattoo. So they got clearance from his agent to like show the image of, you know, because Tyson had it as a Tyson thing, I guess. But guess who they didn't clear it from? The artist who did the initial tattoo. So there's things like that that happen. Like there's famous stories where they then 
go to the studio and like, you know, are very upset about the fact that they weren't cleared and then they sue them. So there's people that constantly make sure that they're not going to get sued for brands and images on sets. Like all the artwork on a set has to be cleared by the artist. So there's art rental houses that just rent art to the studios and or sometimes they sell too, but most of the time it's a rental because they, you know, they save money and they have it on the set and then it's scrapped and then they return it to the rental houses. So we have art rental houses. We have book rental houses. We have, you know, toy rental houses. So there's all these things that like they show periods too, if you're doing a period piece, especially to find the antique things that really establish a set in a period of shooting. So you guys are the ones doing the negotiating and the contracting rather than the filmmaker themselves. You're saving them time. Yeah. Um, And they also have a, sometimes they have a clearance person or a product placement person that strictly deals with that on a set all day long and makes sure that everything is cleared and they have paperwork on everything. All right. Say I wanted to employ a product placement or brand integration company as the filmmaker, you know, to save all my time and everything. What what are some warning bells for filmmakers to look out for when negotiating with a company that does that? Like, is there any particular line in a contract that should be a cause for pause? No, you want global rights because you don't know where this film will end up. So it could be on the internet. It could end up being an international distribution and you want to make sure you say global rights forever and ever and that type of thing in the contract. I remember a long time ago, they didn't mention global because we kind of knew like most of the things that were going to air and domestically would stay domestic unless they got an international deal. And then they kind of get that signed off on. Everybody wants global now, you know, it's a global mm-hmm. world. So what would be an ideal setup for both the company and the filmmaker then? When a brand wants a certain market, it could be you know, Black Lives Matter market, then obviously to get companies that want to align themselves with those type of movements. So it's also like the children's industry, women, where they're targeting women. So there's different areas, but most of the time you want it to go to all demographics. So you can get brands that really want to be associated with certain celebrities. So that's another way or certain type of events where it's done, like I was saying, sometimes people don't mind vulgarity. As we know, the F word is used like everyday word now. So they have to be able to want that. And a lot of times they don't, you know, because they're conservative or sometimes they're edgy and they're like, yeah, let's go for it. You know, and then sometimes there's violence, even if there's no vulgarity. So there are guns. Sometimes they're anti-gun. So a lot of times, you know, there are guns shown and blood and gore and all that. So it has to be a brand where you align them together. And, you know, the animal rights thing with cosmetics and not tested on animals. Like I've had products thrown off. I'll stay for like the set decorator on Two and a Half Men and Shay. Like she knows I bought an eyelash, you know, thing to make your eyelashes grow. And she's like, take that off my set. They tested on my animals. And I'm like, I didn't even think of that, you know. So there's things have come up like that. So, yeah, I really think it's the timing and the planning and the relationship that the agency has with the marketing people that you can capitalize on by having your ducks in order with your presentation to the agency. Because like I said, even like we get so busy, I'm, I go, where's the deck? Oh, here it is. And I'm like, OK, where where do we get to the fees and who's in this? And they're like, sometimes they'll send me a deck without a person. I'm like, well, I, please just send this back to me when, when you have it cast, because obviously the first thing a, a, a client's going to ask is who's in it? Do we want to be associated with that talent? 
So you were talking about how things have evolved, like with the climate of the industry where it is right now, have things been picking up again? Like, what are you seeing on the horizon for how this is going to go from here on out? I think there'll always be general product placement, product placement agencies, because we're like a small niche and we've all been around for years. But I really feel like now digitally, they can go in and put brands in, as we know. They always said, this is funny, on Friends, that one day we'll be able to click on Jennifer Anderson's dress and go right to it, you know? So we have had the internet and TV try to interact. But guess what? The biggest problem is, I think it was the time it was AOL or one of those. They were kind of like going to work with the studio and then everybody wants something. And I, I think we're, they sold like flat screens at the end of one Friends episode and they only sold like 30,000. This is like when flat screen TVs still like wait a ton, you know, but they were expecting a lot more from the, it was called click and buy. So the click and buy thing has never really happened to the level that it really should. I mean, I'm talking even with Access Hollywood. Sometimes I'll see an outfit. And I'm like, I wonder what brand that is, you know, and I'm like, we should be able to just scroll over or even ask our TVs. What dress is Jennifer Aniston wearing? And it should tell you and like interact with you more. So that's the thing is you have so many hands in the pie. Sometimes they, you know, doesn't work. How interesting would that be? Because that's kind of how on, you know, on any film that you that you scroll through on Prime, if you pause it, it'll automatically bring up every actor that is on the screen in that scene. Right. At that particular But not the brands, right? But not the brands. And, you know, there are so many I've seen them. So many agencies pop up where they say, we're going to be able to walk on set and we're going to be able to show you the light fixture and the couch and who made that. It never happens. And they spent millions of dollars like with these cameras and things. Then again, I think they do like a couple shows and it just dies. So they're ha- they've tried to do it, but you think with the internet, you know, the internet, you know, working so closely with network television out, still not there. So we have some listener questions from our Insta and Facebook and Twitter. If you want to ask your questions to future guests, our handle on Insta and Twitter is Collabing Podcast. So when does a switch from product use go to product placement, a.k.a. when are they paying you to use a brand over you paying them or having to use generic things? Basically, that's why our clients come to us is because we get their brands on without them paying a production. So that's why they use a product placement agency, because it's basically we have the relationships and it saves them time and energy. They don't have time to employ someone to go around, you know, basically to find all these production companies where so many pop up like they're here today, gone tomorrow. You know, they don't want a product that doesn't look right. Okay, so this might be the same question, but like, when can you keep a logo of a brand that you work with? And when should you worry about it? Like, I've seen people obsessively greeking out stuff on set, like if it's a Heinz bottle and stuff, but um, or it's too blat- it's so blatantly obvious as in it's like sitting right next to the camera, uh, that kind of thing. But when when do you like as a filmmaker, should I be worried about every single thing that's on set? But like, where's the, where's the line between where I can use things and get permission or like, or I have to pay to have this in my, in my film or they could actually pay me. Well, as long as you have permission to use it by going through an agency, you're cleared. So that's legal clearance and permission. So they sign off on global rights and then they might, you know, say specifically, we don't want it. Well, you have to use it in the way that it should be used. 
You had mentioned that you were there at the very, very beginning of the whole entire process. So you're working with these clients. At what point within the pre-production process, you, you even said people would send you decks without even actors attached yet. When is the most ideal time? I think once you get your financing and once you sign your actors, uh, it makes me think of the, the most famous product placement thing as E.T., you know, Reese's pieces were invented because Mars turned that placement down. So they invented Reese's pieces for that movie. And as you can know, E.T., I mean, everybody, I think they were a little upset once they see that Reese's pieces came out and it's never gone away because of that movie. Yeah. So the earlier, the better. I mean, it's especially if you want to raise revenue and you, you need the time and you need to get the right brands with the right entities. The last question that I have for you is what questions should I have asked you? What new brands are coming out? <laughs> Once again, like a lot of PR firms, advertising firms claim they do product placement, but we're really like a niche group of people that break down scripts on a daily basis, send out our client list, clear things all the time as I'm just signing legal clearance documents. So I know that when a lot of marketing firms say they do product placements, it's usually like one or two films a year, whereas we have dedicated agencies that do that, like the prop rental houses. So, oh, I, I did have another question then. So what if they are setting up a film in, say, Atlanta? Would I still be employing an agency like yours out in L.A.? Or A lot of their art department people and clearance people are in LA and they work just remotely. Now with COVID, because of all the new requirements, it's going to be all deliveries, not taking clients to set. Like I used to take clients to set all the time. I'm not even going to set in a lot of times, but we ship to Atlanta. We ship to Canada for shoots. We ship um, a lot of times we've taken, you know, they'll load up a truck here that's going to Ireland and they'll load up like props here and then they ship it overseas. So that happens a lot too. Gotcha. Gotcha. So for filmmakers who are indie, um, are there particular prop rental houses that are more for like smaller independent uh, companies or, or like, or they, they will work with anybody, even first time filmmakers? They'll work with or? anybody. And um, I mean, they'll have relationships obviously with the biggest studios in town. Alpha Omega just moved downtown. I went to their new facility. It is like literally a museum. It is so huge with every piece of furniture, every chandelier. You could, they're actually like, they have a huge, huge inventory, like enormously huge. It's a block long, you know, and five stories high. And, and they have, you know, they have to have ample parking. They're right by LA Times building. They're absolutely huge. I think there might be the biggest now. And then there's specialty places that have more period things or like the history for hire has history for hire. Eye. We use yeah, them. That's what so oh there's certain places that won't have those type of items. So you constantly have to go to your specialty places. I'm curious then um, how people find you or agencies. Is it like more on IMDb pro or is it more along the lines of just Googling? Um, Googling there's Debbie's books. There's creative handbook or film guidebooks, the old fashioned, take it to set. Don't have to have a monitor in front of you can go through. And then it's on the set decorator society of America. We have a huge business resource and member resource directory on there, but you can log on to that at setdecorators.org, And it's a huge resource. Amazing. So how can people find you? I'm in a lot of these directories and 
And then it's a lot of word of mouth. I, I, you know, when you have a relationships for a long time, I'm hollywoodprops.com. So I think I come up there. I don't actually try to be the biggest. I was one of the, I was probably the first product placement agency on the internet and had my client list out there. Cause a lot of times they were very secretive about your clients, but now no, they're out there and there's branding entertainment network that does, you know, huge things. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of resources now on the internet, of course. Well, you have been extremely educational. I didn't know a thing about any of this. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And I look forward to hearing from you again. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this interview, follow us right here and check out more episodes at media.collabing.org. If you have comments or know someone who would be a great guest on our show, send in your suggestions to tanya at collabing.org. Tammy, thanks again so much for your time. Be well and God bless. We'll see you next time on Dirty here.